So 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. It's on page 1219. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Well, um, we're here on uh, Commission Sunday. I'm not normally here, just in case you hadn't noticed. Um, I think, why is this strange bald bloke here? I'm here because it's Commission Sunday. And uh, I've been invited here today because we belong to this network of churches. Your church, my congregation, lots of other congregations, we belong to this network and we, we belong to a network of churches that is trying to spread the message of Jesus to our city. I'm here because we're partners in doing that. And so we're working together to reach our city, to help our city rediscover who Jesus is and to find those answers to life that people so desperately need. That's what we're about. And so we're all trying to live out <coughs> this call from Jesus to make him known. Now, we're not trying to push anything on people. We're not trying to Bible bash people or browbeat people. But we are looking to persuade, to encourage, and to spread the good news, the best news ever, the news about Jesus Christ. Now, that said, we can still find this hard. <coughs> Sometimes we're worried about being a bit weird, aren't we? talking to our friends and our colleagues and our family about Jesus, it kind of doesn't feel like the done thing. We're worried about being kind of a bit intense or being that weird man or woman. We don't want to be pushy. We don't want to be disrespectful. And so it's easy, it's easy to think, oh, I'll just leave it to people like you, Andy, if that's okay. You're a bit weird. Just keep on being weird and I'll do my thing. A number of years ago, a friend of mine showed me a video of a bloke he knew, a friend of his. And this guy had got it into his head that it would be a good idea to go and preach to a field of cows about Jesus. Because he thought something about he wanted to preach to the whole creation or something. So I watched the YouTube video and this bloke did it. I mean, he went to this field and he really preached to this field of cows. I couldn't believe what I saw. Now, of course, I don't know if, the, if, if any of the cow's hearts were changed, though I think they were very moved. Uh, but that's pretty weird, isn't it? That's pretty weird. Now, and we, we can kind of think, look, I don't want to be weird. I don't want to be weird like that. But, but you know what? Jesus is not asking you to go and preach to a field of cows. Not that there are any fields of cows around here. Um, he's not asking you to be weird. He's simply calling you to be a witness. Not to be weird, but to be a witness to him. And actually surveys that have been done recently tell us that a whole load of people <coughs> are actually very open to a chat about spiritual things, a chat about Jesus. People 
are often very curious. And so God is simply calling us today to point people to his son, Jesus. And so I just want to ask you a question. Can you do that? Can you be a follower of Jesus today in London? Can you be a witness to him? Can you point people to him? Well, Peter wrote this, this, this letter that, that I just read from to believers in the ancient Roman Empire 2,000 years ago. And he was trying to help them do that, to be witnesses in their culture, in their time. And the, these guys, they were living in a whole load of difficulties at that time. Life was hard, but Peter, in the middle of that, commends that he, he, he commends good news. He commends them to, to make the good news known to their society. And so in our passage, he's calling, he calls them and us to three things. Three things. You can see on the handout, I've got the points there. Suffer for the right things, don't fear, and be ready to answer. Suffer for the right things, don't fear, and be ready to answer. So we're going to have a look at these three things. Firstly, suffer for the right things. Now, no one wants to be hated, do they? No one wants to be maligned. No one wants to be accused of things. No one wants to be disrespected. But we need to just be kind of upfront, clear, right from the word go, that when you follow Jesus, that kind of stuff can really happen. It can really happen. Why? Why does that happen? How, how do we know it's going to happen? Because it happened to Jesus. And if it happened to Jesus, it, it will happen to his followers. And it was happening to the followers who Peter was writing to here. They were having a very hard time. They knew what it was like to be rejected and accused and attacked. If you read through the letter, you can see it's mentioned just loads of times. They are facing trials, accusations, and danger. And in the passage we're looking at, in, in chapter 3, you can see it in verse 9, 13, 14, 16, 17, it talks about these trials, these sufferings that they're going through. So it is clear that a passion for the good news of Jesus may well introduce pain into your life. A passion for Jesus may well bring pain into your life. And if you know your Bible, there's no surprise with that. I mean, the, the Bible is written by suffering believers to suffering believers. And so we need a working assumption that being a witness, a witness here in London is at, some, at times going to involve a measure of being rejected, laughed at, and criticized. And, you know, we, we, we don't need to have a martyr complex about that. We don't need to exaggerate it, but we can assume that that is going to be a reality. Now, given that assumption, given that working assumption, we should also make sure that if we do get rejected, that it's because of the gospel and its implications and not because we're a bunch of hypocrites and obnoxious so-and-sos. And that is a big part of Peter's burden here. He is saying, suffer for the right things. <coughs> Back in chapter 2, verse 12, he said this. He said, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter says, do good deeds. Do so many good deeds that people will be com compelled to praise God because of you. Wouldn't that be amazing? People could see us and they knew us and they knew what we were about and how we lived. They said, 
wow, there must be a God. You know, when they see Pete's life, <laughs> there must be a God. Wouldn't it be wonderful people could say that about us? Now, in, in 1 Peter 3, there are loads of references to goodness and being good. In fact, the word goodness here gets mentioned with a greater intensity than anywhere else in the New Testament. So he talks about keeping your tongue from speaking evil of people. Uh, don't take revenge, don't lie, do good, seek peace. Don't look for a fight, but be friendly. Imagine everyone doing that on social media. That would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? Do good, Peter says. The famous pastor John Wesley founded the Methodists. He said this, he said, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can in all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as you can do good now maybe maybe you've met believers who kind of revel in being disliked they quite like being opposed they like the idea of being a martyr but there is a big difference isn't there between being disliked and being dislikable there's a distinction between being hated because I'm obnoxious and being hated because I honour the Lord. The difference between being obnoxious and between honouring the Lord. An awkward personality is not the same as Christ-likeness. And sometimes in some people's minds that bit can get a little bit confused. And Peter knows this. So in verse 13 he says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? And later in verse 16, he tells the believers to keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously <coughs> against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. In other words, he says, if you live out of real goodness, it's going to protect you. It's going to protect your reputation. It's going to protect you from hostility and accusations. A gen genuine goodness will be a shield for you. It will be a defense Live in such a way that people won't be able to accuse you of anything. See, if people see us helping the poor and welcoming the strugglers and getting alongside the addicts and, and promoting ethnic diversity, if they see integrity, if they see us living righteously, our reputation will go before us. And so we should remember. You know, our, you know, I don't know what your Christmas carols were like, and maybe they were brilliant. Your mums and toddlers outreach may be high quality. I know some churches have kind of cheese and wine parties. Maybe your cheese, your cheese and wine parties, specially imported. I don't know. But whatever it is you do, without goodness, those things are nothing. They don't matter at all. Because we're not offering up quality cheese as a witness to Jesus, are we? We're offering up our lives, our good works. If people look at us and think our characters are a mess, we might as well pack our bags and go home. Peter says, live such good lives that, pe that people would be embarrassed to have a go. Goodness will often get past people's objections. It will subvert them. You know, I, I've found actually that people listen much better to my sermons and my spiritual input after I've been to visit them in hospital. And of course, my congregation have always had brilliant sermons from me. Great spiritual insights in my teaching, but it doesn't quite seem to get through. But, it's, but in my experience, I've oft, often had to go to their sickbed to get to their hearts. 
sometimes you almost need to pray that someone will break a leg. You know, so you kind of can go and visit them and then they'll, they'll listen to, to, uh, to the message of Jesus. But the point is here that people, <coughs> people, if they're going to hate us, if they're going to reject us, if they're going to criticize us, let's make sure they're doing it for the right reasons and not the wrong reasons. Now, of course, Peter's not saying here, if you live out real goodness, suffering's going to go away. That didn't work for Jesus, did it? It won't work for us either. So he does remind us of verse 14 and 17, that we may well suffer regardless of doing good. In fact, because of our goodness, it may be that our our loyalty to God's word will provoke, it will irritate, it will incite. If you stand on God's word, there will be people who will not like that. Goodness isn't always likable. And God's goodness is not always something that people think is good. But the take-home point for us in this passage is, if we are going to be accused and criticized and maligned, let's make sure there's nothing about our character that gives credence to the criticism. Let's make sure that if there's anything about us that provokes, it is God's ways and not our character. So that's the first thing, suffer for the right thing. Second thing, don't fear, don't fear. (coughs) Now our society seems to be going in two different directions at the same time. On the one hand, you've got an increasing openness to spiritual things. Maybe an increasing openness to the message of Christianity. You know, there are stories now of atheists turning away from their atheism, you know, talking about, well, what, you know, what is the meaning of life? What, what is the world about? There's lots, of, uh, there's lots of talk about that in the media at the moment. But then on the other hand, you've also got like an increasing secularization, a hostility to biblical Christianity. And I think both those things are going on at the same time. In some ways people see some of the problems without God. In other ways, there there is increasing hostility to God and to the Bible. Now, how are you and I going to deal with that hostility? Wherever it's found, whether it's in the workplace or in college or, uh, or in family, how are we going to deal with that? And particularly as it ramps up, as, those, as that hostility ramps up, how are we going to deal with it? Because as that hostility increases, we're going to be more scared. We're going to be more, more worried about losing our jobs. You know, if I say the wrong thing at work, I might, I might get into trouble. We might, we might be worried about becoming social pariahs, being on the outside of things. It's easy to capitulate, isn't it? When the pressure's on, it's easy to give ground, to compromise, to hide, to run away, to, to just kind of keep my head beneath a parapet. Some believers might even start to get a bit aggressive and confrontational. You know, when you get scared, you, some people run away. Some people just kind of front up and become more aggressive. So when you're, when you're under the cosh, it's easy to kind of to give in to fear, cowardice, even aggression. But Peter doesn't want us to do that. He says in verse 14, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Now, if I was to ask you, what do you think is the most frequent command in the Bible? I wonder what you would say. Well, does anyone have any suggestions? What do you think is the most frequent command in the Bible? Don't be afraid. It is. Do not fear. We'll think, people might think, oh, it's going to go and do this, read your Bible more, pray every day or something. It's actually do not fear. Do not be scared. 
We are commanded continually to not be scared. And here in verse 14, when he says don't fear, he's not talking about like a general fear, like not being fear of the, not being scared of the dark or money worries. He's talking here about fear of opponents, um, the fear of intimidation from hostile society. Now I know it's easy to say don't be scared. Last night my daughter Pella saw a spider in her room and rather foolishly I hadn't, she said, oh, Daddy, what's that over there? And I said, oh, I don't know. I just kind of walked, walked out. And then I heard the, ah! And it was a spider kind of coming down from the ceiling. Now, you know, I said to, to my daughter, Look, don't be, you know, I killed the spider. And, and I said, um, don't be scared. It's, you know, it's not going to, it can't hurt. Now, how, how impactful do you think my words were in that moment? They were not impactful. She went to sleep in our bed. Okay? It did, my words were meaningless in that moment. My words, don't be scared, were trite. Why? Because it's me. You know, I'm her dad and she loves me, but I am still just another bloke. The spider was bigger. But you see, the difference between a bit of trite advice and an almighty comfort is all to do with the one who is saying it. So it's one thing, if I say to you, come on guys, don't be scared. That's one thing. But if the almighty Lord God the creator of all says to you, do not be scared. That's a totally different level of force to it, doesn't it? And that is what God says today. Don't be frightened. Don't be scared. He says, if you suffer, you are blessed. Bullies can't remove my blessing from you. My blessing is stronger than that. It lasts longer, goes deeper. In fact, verse 15, Peter basically says, don't fear people, but fear Christ. He's alluding back to a passage in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 8, when people have been tempted to trust in something other than the Lord. And, um, and Isaiah's message back, back in the day was, don't fear what they fear, the Lord is the one you are to dread. Don't be scared of them. Fear him and his assessment of you. And Peter's echoing the same message, but he's saying, set apart Christ as Lord, revere Christ. Honor Christ as the one who's set apart. Remember who he is. Don't dread other people's opinion of you. You won't stand before them. Dread his opinion of you. Don't fear people's threats, but fear the Lord. Let me tell you another story about my daughter. I had a negative one now. Now I've got another one that, that ends a bit better. A number of years ago, I took, uh, took her to the local swimming pool. And in this swimming pool, there's um, uh, an elephant slide. It's a slide in the shape of an elephant. She was about three years old. And like every child, you know, sees the elephant slide, I think that'd be really fun. She walks, goes up the top of the elephant slide, she's terrified. It is, for her, you know, that's like, that's like jumping off the edge of a cliff. And she, she goes up and then she comes back down. She goes up and she comes back down, which is a bit awkward because there's kids all behind her, so she has to kind of elbow her way back. And she's terrified of going down this slide. But do you know what? She's more terrified of missing out than going down the slide. And so what she does, eventually she goes up to the top of the slide, she puts her hands over her eyes like that, literally, and she slides down. How did she do that? One fear conquered another fear. The fear of missing out conquered the fear of the slide. And that is exactly what is going on here. You see, if you fear Christ and his assessment of you, it will conquer your fear of people. Let me give you a live, live life example of how that played out in one man's life. 
There's a man called Paul Schneider who was a pastor in the, in the, uh, in the Reformed Church in Nazi Germany, okay, when Hitler came to power. He was married with five sons and a daughter, and he was absolutely opposed to all the Nazi ideology. And in 1934, he refused to allow Nazi rhetoric to be used at a funeral he was presiding over. And he got arrested. Got released. 1935, he then criticized the regime from the pulpit. He got arrested again. In a 12-month period from 1935 to 36, this man was interrogated 12 times. But each time he said, I follow the Lord. In 1937... He started excommunicating church members who became members of the Nazi party. And then, as a result, he got two, year, two months in prison. He was told not to return to his parish or his home. What do you think he did? He's the most stubborn man in the world. He went back, didn't he? And as a result, he was arrested and put into a concentration camp where he was put in solitary confinement. While in prison, he preached to people from his prison cell and refused to wear the, the, the special beret that they gave everyone to honor Hitler. Finally, in 1939, he was murdered by lethal injection, aged 41. Paul Schneider feared the Lord more than man, didn't he? Revere Christ, and you will be fearless. Point three, be ready to answer. Be ready to answer. Now, the church where I work is on a big council estate, and a number of years ago we thought about how to reach out to local guys. We ran a gym in our, in our church, and um, we would get a very colourful group of, of, uh, of young guys coming along, and we would run a Christmas dinner for them um, every, um, uh, every year. And so uh, we, uh, we ran this Christmas dinner, and then we'd have a talk to, to explain about Jesus to this kind of room full of guys. And... and um, one of my colleagues was doing the talk one year, and he was doing this talk to this group of guys. And he was, it, was really, it was a really good talk. In fact, the talk was so good that one of the guys, mid-talk, just shouted out, well, what do I need to do to follow Jesus? And, um, and what was quite f- funny in the moment was my, my colleague who was doing the talk, he'd prepared his talk, he was doing a really good talk, he got completely befuddled. Because in the moment, just like Ben in the little sketch earlier, it's just like, uh, I, I, don't know, you know, I don't know what to say. I'm not used to someone just shouting out in the middle of my talk. What must I do to be saved? But Peter says to us here, be ready. Be ready. Verse 15, always be prepared <coughs> to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. The emphasis here is on readiness, isn't it? Always be prepared answer everyone always everyone this is something to be talked about the hope that we have in Jesus is something to be talked about it is not to be tucked away in a bottom drawer it is to be open and obvious we're not to be mute we're not to be silent but we are to stand up and put our head above the parapet to give a testimony to speak up for him to say something to give an account of our hope to tell people why we follow Jesus. Now I guess uh, all this might actually at first seem a bit intimidating. You know, I, we're different people, aren't we? With different kind of abilities and gifts. And, we, you know, we may not feel like we've got the gift of the gab. You know, you might think, oh, I'm not quick off the mark. I'm not fast with my words. I'm not good with my words. Um, but actually, do you know what? The con- 
confident, the confidence it's talking about here is never in yourself. In fact, if your confidence is in your gift of the gab, it's in the wrong place. So there might be two kinds of people here. There might be some people who think, oh, no, I can't, I can't say anything. Other people think, yeah, I can say something. I'm pretty good, you know. I've got a lot of education. I know what to say. And do you know what? This, this actually says no one here actually has uh, the ability in and of themselves to speak of Christ because the real place of our confidence is not in ourselves. It is in the Holy Spirit working in us. Our gabs, however gifted, are not sufficient. Only the Holy Spirit can make you and me competent witnesses. So don't worry, this task is actually impossible for all of us, apart from the Spirit. Here are some words of Jesus to his followers in Luke chapter 12. He says this, he says, When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. You really, you really can give an answer, actually. Not because you're amazing, but because there is an amazing power within you. The Spirit of God himself. Open your mouth and he will fill it. Just start talking about Jesus and God will give you what you need to say. That doesn't mean we shouldn't prepare ourselves. It doesn't mean we... We shouldn't read or think or, or, or get help with that. But God is fundamentally not asking for our expertise. He's asking for our dependence on him. Now, I think there's a really good example of this kind of witness in the person of Dan Walker. You ever seen Dan Walker, Breakfast TV? Uh, he's a football commentator. He's a great Christian witness. He's very distinctive. He's faithful. He stands his ground, he's winsome, he's a bit funny, um, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't blast people, but he's just very positive. There's some goodness in him. I, I remember listening to him on Radio 2 a number of years ago, and he was talking to Chris Evans. And do you know what? On air, he invited Chris Evans to church. I mean, it's just brilliant. And he did it in such a kind of natural way. There wasn't any kind of hocus-pocus or, or, um, or intellectual conversation. He just kind of invited him to come and experience church. Uh, uh, with him so the spirit will give you what, what you uh, what you need to say always be ready but how do we answer well verse 15 it says we do this with gentleness and respect now I mentioned earlier you know when we get scared or a bit on the defensive it's easy it, 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 it's it's easy to get a bit ag- angry or aggressive there's a, there's a danger of being confrontational when we're under pressure some of us might have a tendency to kind of blast people with both barrels but that's not the way of Jesus, is it? It's Jesus, Jesus' way is the way of gentleness. Now, gentleness has not been a doormat. It's not talking quietly. Gentleness is not about having a particular personality type. Gentleness is restrained strength. We're always to be gentle and careful. We think about the impact of our words and our opinions. Even when we're attacked and maligned, I'm to be moderate and careful, thoughtful in what I say. Our witness is to have the aroma and the style of the saviour, not the cesspit. So we're to be gentle in the way we speak. And we do it, verse 15, with respect. That word in the original is actually literally fear. So it could mean uh, respect or, or fear of authorities and, and showing the right kind of respect. It might possibly mean fear of the Lord. So it might be like 
Do it with gentleness and fear the Lord. It could, could, it could mean either. But however we take it, the point is we are to be ready to answer and to speak as God gives us an opportunity. So in 2024, what kind of witnesses are we going to be? What kind of network is the commission network going to be? How are we going to reach our city? Well, we need to make sure that if we suffer, we suffer for the right things. We need to be fearless by fearing the Lord. And we need to be ready to answer for why we believe. We're called to be witnesses. Let me tell you about another witness, another Londoner. It's a man called Alexander Cote. Alexander Cote was born in 1983, grew up in a, in a mixed-race family in West London. He was kind of half Ghanaian, half Greek Cypriot. He was a quiet man dedicated to QPR. He had two kids. He lived in Shepherd's Bush, was raised as a Greek Orthodox Christian, and then, as a teenager, he converted to Islam. He attended a mosque called the Al-Manar Mosque, and as an active Muslim, he got involved in street evangelism and preaching. 2012, he joined ISIS, and he became one, one of the infamous Beatles, who were all in the news. He took part in the atrocities, beheadings in front of camera, torture, all kinds of terrible stuff. And he's now imprisoned uh, in the US. See, there with Alexander Cote, what we have is a man who was eager to witness. He was committed. He was sacrificial. He was willing to suffer for what he believed. But that is not the kind of witnessing we're talking about today, is it? And Alexander Cote's God is not the kind of God we're worshiping. See, straight after our passage, we get an indication of the kind of God we're witnessing. Verse 18, for Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. That's the Messiah we speak of. That's the Savior we're declaring, a suffering, crucified king, a king who died for his enemies, a king who prayed for their forgiveness. Not a warmonger bringing jihad, but a Savior who dies on a cross. We follow a humble, humane heroic Messiah and we witness to his coming and we imitate his example he's our pattern not beheading the unbelievers but suffering to see them one not not in, not living in violence but living out a gentle witness not inspiring fear but rather fearing the Lord not giving ourselves to evil but doing good that's what we're about that's what commission is trying to do that's what we're called to live out in London in 2024 let's ask the Lord to help us do it Let's pray. Loving Father, we praise you for this promise of the Holy Spirit who helps us to speak, to be ready to give an answer. And we want to do that. We want to live out the goodness you've called us to. We want to be able to suffer rightly. We want to live in boldness and courage and not fear. And we want to speak of your Son to our city. Help us, we pray, to do that. In the name of Christ. Amen.